This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, so we did another uh, two-part episode, another uh, crossover episode, if you will, with the guys from P&T. And um, because I am a kind, generous soul, um, I let them run the first half of the episode on their, um, on their podcast, which if you're not familiar with it, um, you should go check it out because it's a really good podcast. And Drew and Schwinn are, um, <laughs> their own, uh, cup of tea, very different from us, but, um, enjoyable, uh, all the same. Uh, and that podcast, of course, is called the posting and toasting show. So, um, if you want, uh, Hit pause on this or um, whatever you, you do. Um, go listen to the first half of the episode again on the Posting and Toasting show um, in which we talk about tanking um, and what is tanking and what isn't tanking and why is tanking smart versus maybe um, not so smart with some of the things that have happened um, over the last few years to, um, you know, maybe alter how smart uh, of an approach that is. And then this, uh, that leads right into the discussion that uh, you're going to pick up with uh, at the beginning of this show, which is when we talk about, okay, well, if the Knicks aren't going to tank, um, what exactly is their, their best path? And, um, yes, we talk about the Chris Paul stuff a little bit more. And I know me and Jeremy, um, talked about that a little bit on last week's episode, but, um, I think we covered some new ground here and we talked about it in a little bit of a different way. Actually, we talked about it in a very different way. Come to think of it. Um, and it is, uh, it's a good conversation. Um, it was, uh, I think an informative conversation as you'll hear just in terms of kind of getting maybe all of us to think about things a little bit differently than we had before we kind of put all of our ideas into the pot, so to speak. Um, and then we ended with some, uh, some parting shots, uh, sports reporter style, uh, which was, uh, which was fun, especially since Jeremy Cohen, um, is 16 years old and didn't know what a parting shot was. Um, anyway, so that is what is coming up. And, uh, Last uh, but not least, before I actually get to the episode, a belated happy Mother's Day to um, I. I don't know how many moms out there listen to this podcast. I I can't imagine it's too many. Um, if you are a mom and you do listen to this podcast, uh, a happy Mother's Day to you, and uh, b you know um, 
at me on Twitter so I know that like you're a mom who listens to this podcast because that would make me really happy because um I don't know I guess I just have the perception that that's not the audience but um I'm happy to be proven wrong so uh, on that note let us get to this week's episode if the pro- if the best way to tank with the new lottery odds is to not only be bad for several years, but to try to accumulate other teams' unprotected picks in years where it is a, a strong possibility where they will not be in the playoffs. Then, for for instance, if the if the like, obviously we know the Knicks are not going to do this, but if the Knicks hired you know um, Sam Hinkie and he wanted to redo the process here, would he turn around um, and trade um, a, a Again, I have no idea that if the Suns would want to do this, but would he trade R.J. Barrett to Phoenix for um, an unprotected pick in 2022? Would that, you know, that to me is the type of decision. Would he trade Mitchell Robinson to Team X for their unprotected pick? It's like, I think those are the types of nuanced questions that you have to ask because like we saw Hinky do, he traded Michael Carter-Williams, I would argue, when his value was highest. Um, so I don't know. And it's... I. I Schwinn, to your point, I agree with you that it's an easier argument to make for tanking. But I think what what the other part about what makes the 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 build it slowly and competently, um, the the issue with that is there's so many different ways to do it, which I think maybe gets us into and I don't we have we don't have to have a Chris Paul discussion, but like it gets us into the no, Chris Paul. No, we should, have, we should have Chris Paul discussion. I think it gets us into the Chris Paul discussion because, listen, if he stays healthy and you, you know, put a halfway competent roster around him, it's probably the quickest path to making the Knicks good next year. Um, you, we could quibble about the deal. So does, I mean, me and Jeremy talked about this last week. Like, is that the type of better that you want to get? I, I, I mean – we talked about Gallo. And we, we joked about Gallo that he 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 was traded like if he was the best player on the Clippers and he went out as soon as Kawhi came in, then like does it really matter who's here when you get good? And doesn't it instead just make it matter if you are competent? I mean, I think that uh, that's like a very interesting question. So to me, it's it's more of Whoever you get, like while you're getting good, before you have a star, I think every acquisition you make should be about, is this guy a player that either helps us achieve whatever it is that we set out to do on the court right now? And if we trade him, can we get value back for this player? And I think at every single point when the Clippers had Gallinari, he was a value to them in trade. They would have net value, and they did get value from him eventually. Like very, I mean, he was there for what two or three years, I think. So, I mean, he was there for a little bit, but at every point, he was a value to them. Chris Paul has absolutely no value to the Knicks beyond the two years that he plays. He has none, and he's going to end up taking up what'll end up being because the cap's going to come down most likely, like forty percent of the cap, forty-five percent of the cap, something like that. Who knows what it'll be. I just I can't. He also has a much bigger effect on if he stays healthy, which is the giant elephant in this room. If yeah, he I mean, stays he stay healthy, healthy, he has much more of a positive effect 
than Gallo does. So all of these conversations are along slide, various sliding scales. You would agree to that at the very right. least. But I, I agree, but it's like I think the sliding scale with Paul is just stupid. Like the point of getting Chris Paul is to add wins. Like that's essentially what you're like, – that's what we're talking about here. Okay. And, and, and make your make your organization more – well, maybe we're – I see, but this is the thing is like – do wins necessarily mean your organization is more competent or does it just mean you traded for Chris Paul? <laughs> that, I'm, I'm, it's I mean, a genuine it depends, question. It depends. It, depends it can mean any of them. I, like, I mean, it could mean that. Yeah. Thing, look at, look at the last three big market teams and how they've each gone about getting to where they're at. Right. You've got the Lakers who they tanked consistently. They had to keep their pick and they needed to land in the top two. And they were able to do that every single time, except for, the year where they had to give it up. And uh, I think Bridges was drafted with that. Mikhail Bridges. Tenth, yeah. They had LeBron James leave a championship caliber team in, in a cakewalk of a, of a conference for a mediocre 35 win team knowing like, all right, I'm going to get my guy. But how unusual is it where one guy who is at the prime of his career and at, at that point, probably the best player on the planet, you can make an argument, maybe KD, whatever, like Kawhi. that's that's uh, that's sure quite that's an astonishing thing to do but then you look at a team like the nets where yeah they made their playoff push and they did well and they booted their you know um shining star and d'angelo russell that's fine they got two guys they did that but then you look at the clippers who obviously were garbage for 20 years and they did something that if anyone had said two years even a year prior like okay Kawhi's is gonna leave and then Paul George, who just re-signed with the Thunder, is going to demand a trade. And then the Thunder are going to say, yeah, sure. And they're going to hold the Clippers um, with their face to the fire and take everything from them. It's, it's the most ludicrous 2K shit that you could come up with. And yet, all three of those things worked. They didn't have to, but they each went about their business different ways. And so the whole thing about tanking, yeah, and, and we could say even with Chris Paul too – with my thing with Chris Paul is that if you find yourself in a situation, um, it's not like, okay, we can just move $45 million off of our books because it's an expiring contract and, and do some sort of like two free agent star free agent signing or sign one guy and trade for another. Um, and I think a lot of that's also rooted in how Chris Paul is treated. Is he treated like an asset because he was an all NBA player this past season, or is he going to be treated like a liability because he's owed $85 million over the next two years? So it's like if he compromises what you're able to do in your second year and an opportunity arises that could be great, then that's totally different. It, it's crazy, but then how do you get around it? But whether the Knicks win with him and now they have no money to sign a guy or they lose with him and now they have no money and they're still focusing on on tanking or developing or whatever you want to call it, you can still make moves with, with each thing. You just have to say like, all right, if we're taking Chris Paul, we're committed to – looking for stars in 2022 and probably not sooner. Can and if you don't, you're kind of still leaving the door open. And honestly, while I would prefer to leave more money available and have more flexibility, I've gotten to the point where you can navigate each where it's okay. It's, it's not like this is a do or die situation. Can I ask a, a question? I, I want to ask each of you what your opinion on something is, because I think it's relevant to this because you just brought up the difficulties of trading Chris Paul and I would argue that if you if the Knicks were so lucky to find themselves in a situation where they would need to trade Chris Paul's salary to accommodate signing two max uh, guys um, in uh, or less than a year from now, 
that would be a fantastic problem to have and they would happily give oh, up yeah. whatever and and also we're kind of skirting over the issue of is was Chris was Paul's presence in this theoretical future um next season um the reason why the Knicks situation was appealing to those guys that they would need to trade Chris Paul to accommodate. Let's put all that aside for a second. My question to you guys is this. If if the if the option is Fred Van Fleet or Chris Paul and um all right, so let's start with this question and I have a follow up question. What is it going to take to get Fred Van Fleet here? Um put aside whether you guys like are desperate for him, don't want him, whatever. Uh Drew, what what do you think it's going to take to get Fred Van Fleet here? Three years, and if we did anywhere between, I would say fifty-one to sixty million. Okay, so let's split the difference and say three fully guaranteed for fifty-seven. Sure, that works. All right, uh, Schwinn. Yeah, I mean, basically that. I think it's more relevant to talk about it in terms of like the percentage of the cap it's going to take because that's fair. But given that we don't know that, I mean, yeah. So, but you think about three for 57, something in that range. All right. Schwinn's giving us radio silence again, because he's clearly too cool for school. Um, (laughs) Can you hear me? Now we can. This is fantastic. No, it's, it's that like he, he's part. So when the cap was at, it was supposed to be 115. I was thinking, okay, three in my just in my head. I was just thinking, okay, yeah, like three sixty million, give or two, like maybe a little bit less. That that's like a competitive offer for him, and he might leave for that money. And like, so just adjust that for the percentage. So I think the percentage is like that ends up being like seventeen percent of the cap. So like whatever the cap is, that's over three years is what I would offer him, and I would feel okay about that. Um, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I know you want a more straightforward answer, John. Uh, you're going to have and haw. Come on. I'm going to kill you with what I'm about to say. Um, the reality, I think, comes down to what his market looks like. You know, I mean, oh, in a Jesus vacuum, I think. Christ, Jeremy. Pick a <laughs> goddamn number. No, I think it's important because here's the thing. He no, it's very not important. It is. No, no, no what I'm saying is this. No, it's not important because Macri wants to specifically do a follow-up to a specific number that he wants to do. So just Can you just as give the us a does, Just play the game. These fucking millennials. Sorry. All right. Well, like everyone else who's on this podcast is technically a millennial, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I am not a millennial. I'm not a millennial. I am. I wasn't the- talking to you. I was saying, I was saying you are both millennials. I was going to say, Macri, you're kind of in that like tweener zennial zone. So like, there is an like, X thing to say too. my God. Anyways, look, all I'm saying is this before I was very rudely interrupted by Doug is I think ultimately <laughs> it could come down to that. He wants more money in shorter years so he can hit the market. It doesn't mean that he has to take three years. And so mm-hmm. I think you could prioritize a situation where you could have shorter years, but more money, which is okay. As long as you, if you have a plan that works out for a certain time, if it's, Again, you can be fluid, but if it's like, yeah, let's do 2022 is when we really want to go after stars. So, so can I? So, well, so for me, I'll say, I'll, how about this? I'll say you could do 224 or you could do something like 360. Um, you mean 240, 248? 248 or yeah. 360. Sure. Yeah. And we could even give them two, two, two for 48 with some kind of a, a player, player option. option. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So now my here's my follow up question. What is, what would be, 
harder to trade. Um, I, oh. I, I keep wanting to say next summer, but it's oh. who the hell knows. Oh. Yeah, I, it would be Chris. So you think it would be harder to trade Chris Paul on an expiring making 40, $45 million, $45 million contract then two guaranteed years of Fred Van Fleet at um, Fred let, Van Fleet is a good player. I don't so disagree with that. I, trade him, but no, I'm saying if yes, he might be overpaid at that number. I don't think he would necessarily be, but let's just say he's overpaid at that number. There is still a team out there who's going to look at him and be like, okay, he's overpaid, but if we're just getting him like that, like there are teams that are capped out that are going to be like, this is a great way for us to improve our roster. Let's just give away our bullshit for Fred Van Dele. Like that's How about this. John? Can I, yeah, about can I this? also rephrase the moment, Jeremy, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but let me just kind of recontextualize the also thing too. When we talk about like trading Chris Paul's expiring, when we talk about $43 million, we're more or less talking about two contracts worth of Andrew Wiggins per season. Like it's, not it's many. Not, it's teams. a ton of money. People yeah, are so, losing their mind over right, fucking so what, Julius Randle's salary. Right, Julius, so what I'm d- double Julius Randle is not even matching Chris Paul. Like, like right. I, I don't think I'm getting. Have, yeah, right. So it's really difficult to trade, is what I'm getting at. Like a team doesn't actually have that much salary to really make that type of offer in the first place, right? Because we're talking a very large lump sum. So even well, if it is just one year, no, forty three million dollars is for a lot of teams like half of their roster no in this in this scenario you'd be trading you'd have to trade him into it the only reason i'm asking is because in this scenario you'd have to trade him into a team's cap space because in the in the theoretical world that jeremy brought up which is we need all the cap space we could get to sign guys in 2021 then you need to trade him Giannis wants to come here yes exactly right um (laughs) <laughs> no, no, but again, listen. No, I mean, I'm just, I'm just doing it. the thought exercise, and and yeah. in this thought exercise, you need to trade into a team's cap space. I would actually argue that if you're, I'm trying to think which team is going to suck ass a year from now and have all the cap space in the world. Um, the Spurs. Fine, the Spurs. What would this? You're telling me the Spurs wouldn't want a year's worth of of Chris Paul before. Two years worth. Uh, well, I mean, look, I'm, maybe you're I'm, right. I don't know. No, you look, team, this is what I'm, I'm saying. A team would. It's, I think it's a lot harder to just like forty five million dollars. That's based. That's probably most teams' cap space next summer. If they have that, if they have like a bunch of cap space, that's probably most of it. So, like, if you're doing that deal, you're basically saying, "This is our summer." Chris Paul is our summer. That's it. No, there's no other. There's nothing else happening. Yeah, and you'd be getting a future first round pick from the Knicks or whatever else. But here's the thing. Basically, there. But first thing the- is like, would you would you like Malcolm Brogdon or Chris Paul moving forward contract wise? That's basically what you're saying, because they're they're similar terms of levels for the contract that Brogdon and Fred VanVleet could get. But the other thing is this: if you're the Knicks. Your basic it really depends on is Chris Paul an asset by that point? And probably not. He's probably more cooked than he was this past season. Doesn't mean he's bad. Ugh. It's just he's he's going to regress I, at some I, point. I so think we you're need finding, to I'm sorry. I but, we, but John, listen. He might John, have been the tenth or twelfth best player in the league this year. It doesn't matter because the fact that teams have to pay him almost a third, if not more, of their cap sp- of their of their payroll. And so what you're basically trying to do is this. If you wanted to figure out a way where you had to trade for a star, you have to pay assets to acquire that star. And now there's a good chance that you have to also pay at least one asset to get rid of Chris Paul. Could it happen? Sure. 
It absolutely could. But you're you're complicating matters by saying in that sense, you would need to say, all right, well, this summer or this offseason, we need to essentially um, do everything we can to take on assets. So if we want to make a deal, we're not completely gutting ourselves and the assets we've already built up from other teams. And that's really hard to do if Chris Paul regresses in some way, which is very possible. You wrote about this. You you talked about I how did. so few players over, what, 36,000 minutes have really succeeded. It's it's a Jason Kidd and John Stockton. And that doesn't mean Chris Paul can't be the third. It's just showing that the odds are stacked against these guys. And and I, I can't remember. Did your article talk about playoff minutes as well? Um, I looked at playoff minutes. I actually, Chris Paul has a, a shockingly low number of playoff minutes in comparison to a lot of the guys I was comparing him to in the article. Um, so that's not as big of a fear, but at the same time, John Stockton is an alien and Jason Kidd has a body type, which is not like, I mean, he, he he's built like a small forward. So, right. and let's I, also... Yeah. Keep in mind that Chris Paul was hurt for a significant amount of seasons and that this was the first year where he was on pace to really play what over 70 games. That's yeah, that's he, a lot. Played, and so if, uh, you're, if you're saying to a team like, hey, take on forty five million dollars for a 36 year old who, by the way, it, you're lucky if he gets through three quarters of a season then just getting some sort of first round pick in the future that could wind up being you know in the 20s. That's not worth it to a team. At least I certainly don't think it is. You're going to have to do the same thing with in this scenario with Fred Van Vliet, right? Like you would have to be – you have to find a team to, to, to move him into space and attach an asset, let's say. Like why would a team not – I think – I, I would honestly be surprised if most teams did not think Fred Van Vliet at 18 to 20 million a year for a two-year – Contra- on a two-year contract, yeah. essentially at that point, is a better use of their resources than Chris Paul for forty-five million. Like I just, if you're getting the same asset out of each one, Van Vliet could, if you could get an asset for him and then use him to like trade him out for more assets. Chris Paul, like that's not happening because trading a forty-five million dollar contract in of itself is really fucking hard. So to like find a second, like. Like we're struggling to even name one team that would just do this. Like that would just take him into their. Well, because we don't know who would have the in. room. Yeah. But, that, but that's, my I, that's, that's the only reason I said the Spurs is because they have 80 plus million. Yes. But other than that, there's almost no one that right. can absorb that type of deal. Yeah. And it's like, I would like, I just, I, I don't. And I, with, with Van Vliet, I think like the conversation with him is so bizarre where it's like, everybody is like, well, he's not the answer. Oh, I don't understand. Like, so should we not do anything until we find the guy? Like, I just, I, well, I don't understand. Like, this inertia, like, the, it's like fucking, it's cowardice. It's like, that's what I equate it to. Like, I think people are so scared of, like, trying to do anything because every time the Knicks have tried to do something, they failed. Is it because they're the Knicks and just everything that they do is destined to fail? Probably not. It's probably because they do stupid shit. Like, if the Knicks did if they tried to win but did smart things, I don't think it would magically all go to shit because they're the Knicks. Like, it's – you have to actually, like, start trying 
to do things. Like we have seven first round picks. The, in the, next the right things. They tried years. to do things last yeah. summer and they did the wrong things. So I just want to throw that. I would actually agree. I would, I continue to I'll argue this. That, that last summer, this year, as annoying as it was, not even close to the worst case scenario. I would, I would still, I will still die on the hill that I would rather do what the Knicks did than sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy with the Knicks current situation moving forward because you, you may be proven right. I mean, all I'm saying is, the Knicks, especially now with the way they're talking about, they're going to need to negotiate a new CBA basically. And we don't know where the cap's going to be. And this is the greatest challenge the league is facing or all this other bullshit they're throwing out there. Like, the Knicks are sitting here. They've got a couple of guys who, no matter how you feel about them, I think we can all say they're solid young building blocks and RJ Barron and Mitchell Robinson. They've got another one who's intriguing, Frank Nilakina. Maybe is he busting out? Is he not? We don't know. Kind of still an intriguing guy on a rookie contract. Knox is there on a rookie contract. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Smith Jr. exists. Dennis Smith <laughs> Jr. exists. Knox is really there. Strong. Yeah. <laughs> they know, they have, they're going to have a Share, a high lottery pick this year. They got six other firsts in the next four years. On top of that, like three early yeah, seconds. Yeah, like th- this is a if you if you're not already a team that is already good and set up to be good, this is the exact situation that you would want. A short of like having a Zion in place already, this is a, this is like a perfect situation to take advantage of uncertainty. And uh-huh. like, I mean, I jokingly tweeted this last night. But if you are trying to negotiate like potentially a new CBA and try and maximize all the different variables that could come up and, you know, basically find the advantages in there before other people, not getting a guy like Brock. That's Howard, not a joke. That was a great tweet. Yeah. yeah but it was like a semi joke. It was real. Like hiring a guy like Brock Aller is probably a smart move. It's probably even the type of move you would think people might say is uh forward looking it's 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 a smart move and i think like the knicks loki maybe have a couple of guys that have like an idea of what's happening here and and are willing to try new things that's all i'm saying like i don't like i think it's encouraging that brock aller is 40 something like in his early 40s that's a good sign because the knicks have basically had executives that are all like you know fucking about to collect social security. Like they just have like, they, it's like it, you get new blood in here and you have a guy whose entire thing is like, you know, finding inefficiencies to exploit. Like this is the exact market you could dream up for a guy like that to have value. And I just like, I'm just saying like, I, I would be very hesitant to immediately give up that type of flexibility to take in Chris Paul. Because I think the Knicks can have their cake and eat it too. Like I think you can sign a Fred Van Lee and still have a lot of flexibility, or you can just take in Chris Paul and have no flexibility for two years, and that's what you're doing. Like I, much and I think that's okay. It's it's fine if you do that if your plan is to then capitalize on 2022, 2023. But if that's not, if you're basically just punting away your cap space for this year and probably for next year. All for, I mean, especially if you're giving up assets, there's no way I'm doing that. But if it's taking on something, what is it really that we're getting? Is the opportunity cost of of what comes into play or having Chris Paul on your roster exceeding that of any other avenue that you would have to maybe make major upgrades to the point where it's astonishingly different? And 
it's just, it's that's the thing. Again, it, it also goes back to the tanking where which route do you take? And I think you can be flexible with certain options. But with Chris Paul, you're committed to this one. And if this one goes awry or if you've now closed yourself off from other opportunities, then what was it all for? I do you want to marry sorry. Chris Paul for two years. Like, do you want to marry? Chris no, I or would, no. You fuck, or would you rather fuck around a little bit? I would rather <laughs> fuck around. I'd rather play the field than just be like, I'm only going to bed every single night. I, I, you know what? I think that's actually a perfect transition to the point that I wanted to make, which is that ultimately this entire conversation that we've been having comes down to, do you trust the Knicks front office to make wise decisions or not? Because, it's funny it, in, in the interesting in an interesting way. It's like tanking. We talked about it in the, in the earlier part of this conversation as like that's the lazy ish way out of it. I would actually argue that acquiring Chris Paul is the lazy way because it's like okay, he. What do we do? We got the best player available, and I think say what you want about Van Fleet or whoever else. Like if you're just can we at least agree that he's like the best talent as of like even if he though he might get injured he's the best talent that they could acquire realistically this summer right is that fair to say yeah okay so if we yeah if if we could if we could agree on that and then also it's like oh that was our move we can't do anything else um because we're basically locked into this for for two years let's see what he does let's see how he could help mold the young roster and and make these guys better um, and then we'll see where we're at in two years. The, I guess the only reason I wanted to play out this this thought exercise was because I perceive the biggest negative to Paul, uh, the acquisition of Paul, other than potentially overpaying, which I think is a very real thing and I do not want to do. But I've been kind of approaching this as like, what is it, what if you could essentially get him for free? And I don't mean free, obviously, in terms of dollars. I mean free in terms of assets. I don't think Preston's mm. going to do that, but again, theoretical world. Um, if if that is really the biggest downside, um, is it that big of a downside? That's why I wanted to go through this thought exercise. But just to tie really quickly to put a bow on this, it isn't the biggest downside if you do trust the front office to make smart, savvy moves. Over the next two years. And I think, Schwinn, what you're saying is that having Aller here in a time when the CBA could be changing radically, maybe that is the best argument against trading for Chris Paul because we maybe can, for the first time in a while, trust the Knicks front office to do um, smart shit. And we should probably just mention Berman did have in his report, um, I think it was earlier today, that. Um, they will probably go for short-term deals, which sounds to me again like we want to maintain flexibility. So, yeah, yeah, uh, like I, I think more what I, I'm saying, like the Knicks don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Okay, like I understand why anytime well, Leon Rose might, right? No, I mean I, I'm saying like you can. I, it's a normal reaction that no matter the Knicks, like Bob Meyer said this. He has a quote where he said when he took over. Uh, as the war, like when he went into the Warriors front office, he understood that they had, like, he had to earn the benefit of the doubt because the organization for such a long time had been inept and completely terrible. So, like, I 100% understand and agree with why people are like, 
like feel that way about the Knicks. My only issue is like you can feel that they have to earn the benefit of the doubt without finding like like not everything is some hysterical thing that we need to get like fucking pissy about. Like I don't think it's that big of a deal. Especially like, you know, we also have to adjust for what we're going through right now as like a general society with, you know, coronavirus and everything. Like, I think it's okay to just be like, look, like I, you hired one guy outside of the front office. There's perfectly valid reasons for why you keep Perry around for the time being. Like it's, it's all very normal stuff to me. I don't think any of this is like a sign of genius. I don't think any of it is a sign of like complete ineptitude. I think it's just things that are happening like nothing we don't know anything yet we're gonna find out this summer that's when we can start like you know if they start doing stupid shit you can be like haha i told you and if they don't do stupid shit i'll be like haha i told you like that's fine we can do that then i'm just saying like i think if you are if you are a smart front office and you trust your front office to be smart i would not go for chris paul because i think if you trust your front office to be smart you want them to be flexible and you should trust them to be flexible and to make moves. Like I think if you get Chris Paul, that's the move and you're more or less locked in on that for like no, the next year. You're, you're locked. Time. You're locked the fuck in. <laughs> it's yeah, no, you, you, in you, you guys it, made a good case. Yeah. It's okay. It's just like, I would rather see what my front office can do with all this flexibility, flexibility in a market. That's not going to be probably very flexible. Um, so, Yes. I don't see Brock Aller as great and revered as he is coming into the situation and being comfortable with just sinking over a third, maybe even 40% of his salary cap right away. And I think right. that's fine. I don't, I don't think that is problematic at all. But, um, you know, John, you had said, even if there are no assets involved, it's just taking on the $45 million. See, I still, I don't see that as no cost. I see that as an opportunity, an opportunity cost, cost. lost in $45 million. And so if it's an immovable piece in that, I mean, the only player, the only reason that Chris Paul was traded was because it worked out with Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul didn't want to be in Houston anymore. And that deal went through because they had basically the exact same contract minus maybe like ten, twenty thousand $20,000. So that's the thing. And, and what's so interesting as well, I this is not a, an accurate representation of the Thunder fan base, but I happen to go on their subreddit page. Oh my god! This is going to get me canceled, isn't it? No, not really. Canceled. Yeah, canceled. I've been canceled. You're, John, it, it's okay because Schwinn was also canceled with his mm-hmm. uh, Thibodeau um, blog post, which was not <laughs> satirical at all. Um, but <laughs> I was very surprised because two thirds of the fans. Who, who voted in a poll said that they wanted a full rebuild, but then they were also talking about like, okay, well, we don't want to get rid of Paul for nothing. Um, and so then it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, well you can't, I mean, you can't necessarily accomplish that. If you want him off your team, there are very few teams that can actually afford you the, the ability to tank in that case. So I guess just bringing it all home. Um, yeah. It's the sort of thing where, I, I hope that, um, especially someone like Worldwide West, I'm very curious as to what he's able to do behind the scenes. That again, like we we won't know about really any of it, most likely, unless it materializes. Um, but the thing is that if you, it, it doesn't even have to be trusting the front office to build the team. 
if you can do a good enough job where you're able to market it as such and tout your future, but also, yeah, how you focus on the present without hurting your long-term future or even short-term future, which I see Chris Paul as doing. And I don't see Fred Van Vliet hurting the long-term or the short-term future either, unless you're a devout fan of tanking. And I'm not saying you, you, John, just like if someone wants to tank, then really they're basically saying, I don't want any point guard. I just, I just want to see the rookie struggle. And that's not also how you develop or build a team. So it, it feels a very, it's very convoluted where you're, you're basically trying to understand, or you're trying to figure out what direction to go in where you're not really going up or down. You're just kind of staying as is and wishing for the next best player in a loaded 2021 draft where the reality is if that draft is so loaded and if luck, I mean, we saw the Pelicans and Grizzlies who both won 33 games rise up. What you're basically saying is that I'm comfortable with the idea and the high level of risk, which is that the Knicks could be very bad and still miss out on the, the first three picks in can, that draft. Can I ask Drew a question? Because um, one, we haven't heard from him in a while. And two, um, I no, but I, you you posed the question to start uh, this podcast, which was on your feed, and I think now we've transferred over to mine, um, about what is tanking. If the Knicks do, because again, in light of Berman's report that they're probably going to go for short-term deals, let's say the Knicks do this this summer. They sign, they, they, uh, they draft a point guard um, with the intention of playing that point guard, you know, 25 to 30 minutes a night. Um, they sign Goran Dragic to a one-year. Eh, let's make it. Eh, let's go twenty million. One year, twenty million dollars. Um, I don't know off the top of my head how much cap space they would have left. Um, I guess it depends, obviously, on how many of these guys they they decide to bring back. They sign like one other middling, you know free agent to one year more than they deserve, or maybe do another one of these like one plus ones with the team option. Like they did last summer drew in your eyes. And and then, sorry, one, one other thing. And they do indeed play the rookie point guard and RJ and Mitch and even uh, Kevin Knox, uh, like a lot of minutes. Is that tanking? All right. Just, so I understand everything. They're drafting a rook. they Managed to get drafting a rookie point guard. They're going to play. Yeah, pick, pick one say, of. Say it's Killian Hayes, right? They, they get Killian Hayes. They're going to play Hayes. They're going to play Barrett. They're going to play Knox. They're going to play Frank. They're going to play Mitch, right? Yes. And all they do is bring in, they say, they want a veteran point guard because they don't really know if. Uh, I. You know, the idea, like they bring in a veteran point guard to kind of like handle things with like all the ball handling. You know, I'm assuming Dragic is the and best then, guy they could get on a one year deal. That's my assumption. Okay. They bring in Dragic. Drogic, and then they say they, they resign Bobby Portis, basically, right? Something along those lines. I, I'd like to think that we tanking? can get someone slightly better than Bobby Portis, but sure. Okay, but okay. Um, no, that's not. How tanking. do you even do that, though? What? How do you get a player that's better than Bobby Portis? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. <laughs> that is that is tough. In his mind, I mean, he thinks we could dig up Will Chamberlain, but I don't think that would help. <laughs> Will Chamberlain Will, really even exist in the first place? Will couldn't stretch the floor. That's true. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's tanking. That's not tanking. That's, that's a, actually that's like, it's it's that is like what I think is it is like a, a mixture. 
So like when you, there's like all these different investment strategies, right? But essentially like the tenet of like good investment is you want to diversify your portfolio. Yes. Like that's kind of how I think you should operate an NBA team. Like I don't think it's beneficial to have, like people lose their minds over like not all 15 guys on a team being like 20. Like if you're rebuilding, it doesn't mean all 15 guys on the roster need to be 23 or younger. 22, yeah. <laughs> yeah like that's not, that's fucking stupid as hell first of all like that is the dumbest way to go about rebuilding um yeah because everyone like, knows you want a bunch of 23 year olds together without any like guidance on how and, life should work and so like <laughs> the, the biggest mistake they made last summer is the underlying thought process made sense hey we didn't get the guys that we wanted let's let's sign some good vets and like let's keep our cap flexible and these guys will help us be more competitive on the floor Good logic. Very good logic. The problem is when you promise all the guys you sign, which ends up being like seven or was it seven or was it eight? It was seven in total. It was seven. Seven. There you go. Mic drop again. Mama, there goes that man. All right. So the question was actually asked. Well, hold on. Well, since the question was actually asked for me and not Schwinn, um, and his microphone is, you know, bugging out. Can you hear me though? Yes, we can hear you, but we want you to shut up. Yeah, so tanking for me (laughs) would be the Knicks trade basically all of their good players in a way and not just trade them for young players. I have to ask who who you mean by that because (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay, so good good players. So if the Knicks decided to (laughs) trade RJ Frank Mitch and basically bring back like Peyton and Randall and Bullock and uh, Ellington and something like that, and all they're trading those young play like the good players for is the just like generic draft pick, like future draft picks. To me, that's tanking, right? You're basically you're you're not even caring about what you're doing this specific season. You're just putting together. You're not putting your best foot forward. You're sign. You're just bringing back crappy players who don't actually produce winning, and you're going into it in that type of mindset. To me, that's what the Sixers did. So if the Knicks for example, decided to say they trade their young guys and they got like different young guys, which would be really stupid in the first place. So it doesn't make any sense. But like, say the Knicks had someone like Towns and they traded Towns for a couple young players, right? Like say it was, say they decided to do, I think the, like the Schwinn trade, like the Wanda Ball, Brandon Ingram, or they do something to that extent where they're actually not just trading towns for a bunch of future picks, but they're investing some time into some other young players. To me, that's not tanking. That's if you want, if you want to call it like the first find your portfolio and there's a mixture of it, that's very fair to call it too. But to me, there isn't an explicit, I'm going to lose this season to maximize my odds for the best draft pick. That, to me, that says, oh, we're, it's not, not working with towns. We're going to try with these young players and build a core going that way. And to me, that would be more rebuilding. I know this is all semantic stuff. And no, I think it's interesting. I, I hate, hate this type of lawyer things, but to me, <laughs> I um, do hate lawyers. Yeah. We like can't stand them, but uh, I, I mean, this podcast. I, it, do, I, I hope you don't <laughs> still consider me a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're technically my lawyer, right? Sure. If you need I one. I, I, I'm technically okay, retired, God. so I, I, that would be illegal for me to represent you, but. Alaska. Could you just send a fax to the bar and say I'm back and leave it at that, and then you'd be reinstated? <laughs> I actually, I'm back. 
I actually have to fill out my my biannual uh, thing and and put down that I'm I am indeed still retired. But I guess speak now if you want me to unretire uh, to represent you, Drew. Yeah, yeah, because I'm definitely going to need some legal troubles. <laughs> yeah, you are going to need some legal troubles. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, so- Drew, I, I just have one quick question: Would you yeah. consider the 2018-19 season as a tank? Which is 2018-19 with that the, one, the one before the 17 win season? That's a tough one because it it does come off like a tank, but I actually think I genuinely actually thought like the Knicks tried, which is really weird to say, right? Like it, I know because they did everything that does come off as tanking, right? We're going to play Mario Hazonia. Well, and do had these, David Fizdale as the head coach too. And they, have David Fizdale as the head coach, like all these sort of things. So it does actually come off as tanking. But since I lived it, I actually genuinely think they weren't trying to tank and they thought this was a good way to like move things, but they did all the tanking like things to me that signify tanking. Like they, they did all the tanking stuff. I, I think they did I one glaring was, thing, which was I, I really, really quick. If you yeah. like to me, the reason why that season defi- is very easily defined as a, a tanking season is just looking at the on off. They played, and again, you, I'm a bigger fan of Kevin Knox than I think any of the three of you. And I'll be the first person to point out that they were a, uh, what was it? A, with Knox off the court, a minus three points. It was like not that terrible. Hold on. I'm looking it up right now. A minus 3.0 net rating with Knox on the court. They were a minus 13.6. If you play a guy with that differential, 2,158 minutes, I'm sorry, but you're tanking. That's, I don't think there's oh, any to- way around No, that. totally. I think also the approach in that offseason was is like, oh, they're trying to build some sort of like comp- – I think they just had a very flawed approach. But I actually – if if you're going to argue that they tanked, I'm actually never going to push back on them saying, no, they didn't actually tank. But part of me thinks there was just a lot more – it was more incompetence than tank. But <laughs> I it's, agree. It's, 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 no, it's I I, I don't think I, it was I a, because I, I also don't feel that was a tank year because especially the fact that the team was entirely capped out due to Cantor's player option and basically no other team had cap space. So it was basically just like if you everyone that has built a mediocre team, it stays mediocre and there's not much you could do. So I, I was just curious in terms of where your head was at in terms of the semantics of it all and, and considering right. that season and before. But you I think can they, ease, yo, go ahead, Schwinn. I yeah, already I, have my piece. I, I think they took like gambles on younger dudes that they were like, maybe they're going to pop. Maybe they just need another year. And if they pop, like we're cool with being good, but they were totally fine with sucking. So if you want to call that a tank, like that's fine. Um, I don't really think they, I don't think they had many avenues to not suck last year. So like, I don't, to me, tanking is if you're just like, like if you have other options you can take, but you're just deliberately like, now we're just going to suck this year. Right. Like that's like, that's, th- like, like this year intention to do something like you're intentionally going for the loss. Like you're not exploring anything else. You're purposely giving up on it. Like this season, that's a tank job to me. Yeah. Like if, if they, if they just take on salary dumps this year, make their picks and like the rotation is just like all their young dudes, basically and a vet or two that they sign. I think that's like, you know, depending on the vet, I think that's like tanking. Um, like what you outline where, you know, I, I mean, what, all I was going to say is that like their issue last year was they signed too many vets, but if you right. sign like two, like if you sign like three vets, 
then like that, that's a good balance because I think you want like two or three vets in the rotation that can just like, like NBA seasons are long and they're hard and they're going to be points in games and stuff like that where shit sucks. And you need like a vet that can kind of get in the huddle and be like, look guys, like, you know, we're down 30. It's not that big a deal. Like the shit happens every year to every single team. Like, I mean, just stay in it and Taj, Taj like, did that it. for them this year. He, that was the right. role he played. Right. And like, and, and that's, and that's kind of like what I mean. If they, if they had done the exact same thing they did last summer, but it's like, they didn't sign Portis. They didn't sign Peyton. Uh, and they took like, one no, of, even if you sign, like if you sign Peyton, if you sign Taj and you sign, Randall you know, more and more like, yeah, oh, Randall, Morris, yeah, Randall and Morris. I think we'd all be fine with like, generally speaking, like we could still quibble with like this thing sucked or that thing sucked, but like naturally the young guys would have played more. And mm-hmm. I think everyone would have been happier. Like what ended up happening is they just like, clearly they made promises that they had to keep and was just counterproductive to everything. And like, that's the kind of process that you want to avoid like again the thought process was okay to me and i will stand by that like i think once they've struck it, out it was like, poorly executed um, yeah, like, can we was, just say it like I it is it was just too much it was too much like, they didn't need like they they just did too much like you didn't need to sign seven guys but it wasn't it wasn't just yeah. too much though they you you can't like they conceived of a team with out shooting at at certain positions and then they added to it by making their point guard addition be a guy who hit 14 threes last year and they needed the, the to me a, a more of a I guess free-flowing offense would have benefited the younger players on the team and they signed guys who the ball stuck in their hands and that's why they were 27th or 28th whatever the hell they were in assist rate on the year it's like those are the two things that stand out to me but like, uh, I think it's because you signed too many of those guys. Like, you and needed, they signed too many guys. You, that too. You, like, if you signed, like, all right, I think it's even if you just signed Morris, if you just signed Peyton, and you just signed and like one of Bullock or Ellington and Taj, that that team is fine. Yeah, that would have been okay that. That team is fine. That's fun. Like, still it's, not a lot of shooting. Not gonna, but. It's not a lot of shooting, but it would have been okay. We signed a couple of guys that can shoot. We have a guy in Morris who can play like small ball four. Todd can be a five and like Peyton's the steady veteran hand who's obviously got faults, but like he can do vet stuff and Bullock can shoot whenever he's healthy or whatever. If they chose Ellington because he'd have been healthy the whole year, let's just say Ellington and Ellington can shoot. Like I think that is fine. That would have been fine. It hits enough of like what you kind of want. You keep some cap space free and you move forward with your life. Like that would have been fine. But what, you know, when you, when you do all of the things they did, it just leads to problems. And like, right. that's then probably combine Fisdale being like, all right, Randall, go be LeBron James. Like, right. let's not also forget, like the Knicks offense did become more fleet, uh, free flowing once, uh, Fisdale left. Like, I mean, they, they would, I think under Miller, they were like 22nd or something in offensive rating. And, you know, I don't know what their defensive rating was, but I know that they had like, the 12th best expected value shot chart against or something uh, yes. under Miller. Yeah, so it, like, it ended up 12th. It was actually hovering around like the top five for his early, yeah. uh, like three or four weeks. But yeah, no, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's just say 12, 12, like I think if you had that over the course of the season and like, this is why I think it's such a weird season to talk about because 
like, what is the true measure of the team? Is it four and 18 or is it 17 and 27? Like which of those is the actual output of the team? And if the point of like, you know, everybody was, I, you can go back and look. I would, I think most Knicks fans coming into the season were like, never been more excited to win 30 games before. So excited to just watch a team like not get embarrassed every night. And they were that team. But we know it was the way, we know it was the way that it happened. I I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think if the, if the Knicks have Mike, let's say the Knicks have Mike Miller the whole year and they're playing at that, just said that it was like a 32 win pace. So for like, they're, they're playing at that rate the whole year. They'd be like three or four games out of an eight seed. No, I think I, be, I, that's, but that's I think not my, be, I think there'd be, no, but I'm saying there'd be plenty of fans. There'd be plenty of fans who would be like satisfied with that. And because, because they're in a playoff race, they'd be like, it's understandable why they're not just like milking development minutes for the kids. And I think like, that's, I, I just like, if that's right or wrong, that's fine. I also think it's an argument in favor of Mike Miller, by the way, that like, he managed all of these things while still somewhat prioritizing and getting development minutes for like the four main young players. Can I, can I just say really quick? I think if you replaced um, Julius Randall with a salary dump with, let's say the Moharkless salary dump um, that, which that complicates things because then is the Morris trade still there for them in the middle? Well, let's, let's say that it is. If you replace the, if you replace the, Randall, the Josh Jackson salary dump. Fine. Great. If you replace the um, Randall contract with the Josh Jackson salary dump and you essentially give Knox not only more minutes, but you, you give him the same minutes he had as a rookie, give him roughly the same usage he had as a rookie and you made his, role, though. what's that? A better role, though. Yeah, a better role, and he actually looked like halfway decent, like we saw intermittently. And I still think that if you gave him um, more minutes, he would have looked better throughout the year. Um, I think the narrative, sur- and everything else stayed the same. RJ stayed the same. Mitch stayed the same. Frank stayed the same. Even fuck Dennis Smith Jr. stayed the same. I think the narrative surrounding the next season would have been. Um, let me make sure I get this right. 180 degrees um, different. <laughs> you could have done a full 360 on it. A full 360. <laughs> and, and on and on that note, um, I, I here. How about we do? Because I gotta go. Because I got a, a something stupid, which I don't even want to say. Um, but I do have to go. So how about we do? Uh, since it's four of us, um, we do uh, parting shots. Can we do parting shots? Is that too stupid? I'd like to do parting. Oh, shots. like the sports reporters? Yeah, like sports reporters. <laughs> Who's who's who? I bet Jeremy has no idea what the hell the sports reporters are. Oh, he has to. <laughs> Did no, Jeremy hang up? <laughs> <laughs> Can I be Bob Ryan? Uh, Is sure. Yeah, you know you should be MAGA. You you be Bob yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I just I just want to represent my MAGA Boston fans who very much tune into the podcast. Um, I'll be I'll Bob be Ryan. Actually, went to my he came to speak to my sports journalism class. It was pretty chill. I but I did say to him like, "Yeah, Frank Isola sucks." He's like, "Really? I don't. I don't get that." I was like, "Okay." Um, Who is he this? Does. How do you How do you not understand that he's a shitty human being? Wait, are you talking like, about Bob Ryan? Or are you talking about Mike Lupica? No, I'm talking about Bob Ryan. Oh, okay, okay. Globe and ESPN. Lupica is oh. just a shit weasel. I'll be <laughs> I'll be Lupica because he was my first uh, favorite person to read in the newspaper. So I'm sorry, oh, you're, I'm sorry to hear that. You're dating yourself. I listen. People know how fucking old I am. All right, what's, what's uh, next? Peter Vesey. Uh, Schwinn could be Peter Vesey, and 
Uh, oh, he actually he was never on the sports reporters. No, he was never on the sports reporters. Have no. you ever seen that Peter Vesey interview he did with Carmelo? Uh, yeah, a while ago. Yeah, yeah, that's probably that the best interview of all time. I have no idea how Carmelo didn't punch him in the face. Schwinn, you're gonna be Mitch Album, and Jeremy, <laughs> you could be. Who else was always on the show? Did Jer- Jeremy? What's who is it? Dick oh, it's Dick Shap. Yeah. yeah. So, wait, do, did Shep. you want to be? Hold on, Drew. Did you want to be Dick Shap? You didn't give me. I'm surprised you didn't give me Mitch Album because he's Jewish and he went to my college. Fine, great. You be Wait, Mitch Album. Jeremy's Chapard. Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Just okay. Whoever the hell you people are, who wants Jeremy? You're the youngest. You go first. When it, I, I, I don't know what the show is. No, you just you have just, to say something. It's a party you just, shot. You, just have to, you have to have a take on something. Have a, you take. Have a take on something. Expand on it. It, it should be a, a lukewarm, if not outright hot take. Yes. It can't okay. be cold. And it should be delivered eloquently. Ooh, that'll be all right. Interesting. I didn't think I was going to go first. So Okay. Um, then you, you know what? We're going to put you last. I'll um, go second. I'll go second. Fine. fine. Um, I'll go first. Um... <laughs> Uh, hello, Knicks fans. Um, it's been good talking to you. This isn't how parting shots started, is it? Um, anyway, um, I've talked a lot over the last month or so about trading for Chris Paul, and I have probably pissed off a lot of people because, um, he is, as we've discussed on the show, an older guy who's probably going to break down and he makes, uh, what is going to amount to, um, something close to the salary cap. Um, I totally hear that. And truth be told, do I really, really want Chris Paul on this team? No. But I say um, that, or I've entertained the notion, let's say that, because I am a scared little boy. And I am scared that the front office and the people running the team are not going to do as Schwinn so eloquently earlier in the episode, um, you know, predicted they might now that they have someone who knows the cap and makes smart, savvy moves. And I'm just scared they're going to fuck it up. And that is just me being honest. And I know at the very least, if they did trade for Chris Paul, um, they would be a competent team. And they might actually be something more than a competent team. They might be a good team. Um, is it the best path to long-term success? I think we've established over the course of the last, uh, how the hell long have we been talking? Two hours? No, it is probably not the uh, best path to sustain success. Um so here is my challenge to the Knicks front office. If you are out there listening, which you are surely not, um, prove me wrong. Um, be competent. Don't fuck it up. Do smart, savvy things that other organizations do. Um, and don't trade for Chris Paul. How about that? All right. Who's up next? Uh, Jeremy, let's go. All right. Sure. Um, hey, y'all. I've <laughs> tweeted a lot about cap space. And I think it's very important to maintain that. I think it's also um, I, I sometimes have an issue with committing money in terms of any sort of, sort of long term contract. And I think that that is wrong. Just I think that it's a lot easier to just say, let's let two stars walk in and let that be the case. And that's great when the reality is that's very unlikely to be the situation. And so I think I'm warming myself up to the idea of committing some short-term, maybe even some long-term money. But the point is using this summer or this off season as a chance to use the biggest asset that the Knicks have, 
which will probably be having the most cap space in the league. And essentially trying to ensure that your long-term success is completely unfazed and, in fact, that you can add to it. Um, but reality is, in terms of what you do, it doesn't have to be a salary dump. It doesn't have to be some sort of one-year player. There are other ways around it. I think that there are really several ways to skin a cat. And it's the sort of thing where, without knowing what the long-term plan is, it might be hard for us to see things in the moment. So while I'm fully comfortable with giving the front office the benefit of the doubt, it's going to be hard not seeing everything all laid out in front of us. Um, And before I end, I'd like to uh, blame John for, of course, being born on this year's Mother's Day. Um, (laughs) It's the most selfish thing that I could ever imagine. Your poor wife has to put up with you and your daughter, and now you have to take the glory of her day away by having your birthday. So uh, happy Mother's Day to all mothers. And uh, John, happy birthday. Thank you. Now now I have like a small tear in my eye. Yeah, you're the best. That was a really long parting shot. Well, I don't know how these work, Drew. That's yeah. really good part, it was a good parting shot. It was a good parting shot. It was a good parting shot. Uh, I'll go. Schwinn needs to be last because everyone everyone basically listens to this for Schwinn. So. I don't think Should they we, listen to this. I just want to skip now, actually. No. Just skip Schwinn and yeah, should I just Should we just skip this? <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's listening. Um, Drew, go. A couple days ago, Stefan Bundy of the New York Daily News, for some odd reason, decided to write an article about the Knicks and Trey Young. And I want to let everyone know Trey Young is not good at basketball. I don't care about his 30 and 10 games, his super efficient shooting or anything along those lines. I don't care. He could put up all the flashy passes and all the 30 foot three pointers in the world. The bottom line is this. The Hawks still suck. When he plays, that's not surprising because he can't play defense. Defense matters still in this league where we always talk about, is it offense versus defense and people figuring, determining whether it's like, oh, I'll lean towards the offensive player, the defensive player. That's just wrong. Defense matters and it'll always matter in this league. Just watch the Toronto Raptors. Every single player under rotation was a net positive defender and they won the title. That's how you win championships by being a well-rounded balanced player who is committed to playing defense. Trey Young doesn't do that. And therefore, Trey Young is a bad basketball player. Talk soon, Yoda. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. I, I would just like to say for the record that uh, your views on Stefan Bondi do not reflect the views of this program. Um, Schwinn, <laughs> take us away. Uh, okay. Yeah, so the Knicks don't really have to do anything huge this summer for me to be happy with the progress of the team. There are only two things I really want them to do. One, get players that actually like do complementary skills, you know, like shoot, play off the ball, uh, pass the ball, make quick decisions, aren't complete shitheads on defense. Very basic stuff. That is, that is the one thing I would like them to do. In, the simil- in a similar vein, number two, do not draft Obi Toppin. Because Obi Toppin <laughs> is not any of those things. He's actually an okay passer, but his entire value is dependent on what he can do with the ball in his hands. That is it. If Obi Toppin is drafted, I will be very out on this front office because it will just demonstrate that they still are obsessed with points per game and guys that can – like just a complete overvaluation of shot creation without any consideration of fit or what – the team 
genuinely needs going forward. Um, Obi Toppin is a older Julius Randle with hops when he got drafted. That's what Obi Toppin is. Like he is a negative value defender who can't play the five because he's a terrible defensive player. Uh, predominantly as a scorer is an inside scorer. So like all of the bullshit everybody has been spewing about how they hate Julius Randle because he fucks up the spacing. That is exactly what Obi Toppin will bring to the table for the Knicks. It's not to say Obi Toppin's a bad player. just makes no sense if the entire point is we're trying to build with and around R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. Um, so everything they do this summer needs to be with that in consideration. You might not want to build around R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, but you have to build with them in mind. And with them in mind, you need to value passing, having value off the ball, defense, all of those fun things that don't necessarily show up in the stat sheet but help you win games. And what the Knicks have sucked at for a long time is winning games. There's a reason for it. The last time they were good, they valued those things. They won 54 games that year with a bunch of low PPG guys like Jason Kidd and Tyson Chandler and all of these dudes. So let's get back to that because you might win some games and it'll probably help the young guys develop better. Schwinn, did you see Wasserman's uh, players draft in the lottery who turned 22? I, I saw that. It's not it's not an inspiring list. I mean Obi Toppin could be his own player, but that was um that was pretty jarring. I, I would it's, it's I, a mess. I would like to say that Schwinn's views on Obi Toppin do one hundred percent represent the views of this podcast because I <laughs> completely agree with every word you said. Um okay. It's um, the most Scott Perry pick, by the way. It, it, oh it's it's Obi, that's the most Scott Perry pick. It that Screams Scott Perry, which hopefully again. Hey. Oh, he's older, but he's got upside because he can dunk and he scores points. No, no, hold on, Schwinn, hold on. <laughs> he, he, no, he's a four spacer, but he's also uh, he's also the modern Amari Stoudemire. So, but he's yeah, he's, he's point forward too. He's going to exist in like the ether somewhere between the three point line and the basket where Mitch lives. It's going to be fabulous. You're going to love it, LeBron. Top Guys, it. he's from Brooklyn. It's already like you can't not take him. <laughs> Hammer Cole Anthony or bus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Shoot me now. All right. Uh, that's it. Um, I, I guess it's my turn to thank you guys. Schwinn, Drew, thank you for um, coming on uh, what has become the Knicks Film School podcast. You guys are awesome. This is always fun to talk with you guys. Uh, Jeremy, uh, always a pleasure to hash it up with you. And uh, I'll second what Jeremy said earlier. Happy Mother's Day to uh, belated Mother's Day to all the moms out there because this is coming out um, on uh, Monday. So, yeah, we will uh, talk to you guys soon. Be well. Peace out. Peace out.